Lewis Hunt is currently the goalkeeper coach for the San Diego Wave and NWSL. He also currently serves as a director with the Surf Soccer Club. Lewis has an extensive coaching background from all levels that also includes time with the U.S. Youth National Team. All right, Lewis, appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule and uh, joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you guys heard in the intro, Lewis, current, current goalkeeper coach for the San Diego Wave, but he didn't just start out there. So, Lewis, could you uh, kind of walk us through your, your starting coaching? Yeah, so in the U.S., it, I came out full-time back in 2006, I think it was. Um, I probably started coaching when I was about 14, 15, back in the U.K., yeah. Um, but yeah, came out here, worked for a club that is now called LA Surf, up in Pasadena, up in the other area in LA. So I worked for them for around 10 years before I moved to San Diego Surf. Um, in that time, I've done anything from the high school game to the college game. Um, I've coached in the WPSL. Um, as a director of coaching, boys and girls, youngers, goalkeeper coach, head coach, um, and then, yeah, just last last five, six years, been at Perth and done some stuff with the youth national teams on the women's side, which has been really fun to do, and then transitioned into the way this January, February period. So you, you've literally done it all. So you can, you're one of those people that can say you've all levels, all, all types of coaching. I mean, you, you, you've done it all, huh? Yeah, so that's, yeah, having now done the last five, six months with the Wave, yeah, the, uh, the professional level has been the last little bit to tick off and experience. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, up until now, yes, I've managed to do a little bit of everything. What, uh, what has been, what's been, you know, your favorite part so far about working with the Wave? Oh, good question. I think the level of quality and attention to detail from the staff have been really, really interesting and um, refreshing to be around. Like there's no concern. And then the, the, the players as well, especially those experienced players that have been in the league and played international football, um, seeing their attention to detail and the quality and the level and the buy-in as well. And that goes through all the way down to the rookies, those players you're working with now as pros. They're watching the game, they're living the game week in, week out. And that's refreshing because I think in the youth game you might get your top 10% that do that. Um, mm. It's all about soccer for them. And maybe, you know, there's a bigger pool of youth players which it's not necessarily that in-depth. Um, but yeah, just how much it's the players' lives, obviously it's their careers and their jobs, yeah. um, but how much they then put into it on and off the field, that's been really, really refreshing and, and interesting to, to see and watch and go through and experience with them. When you came to the States in 06, was coaching in the pro ranks something, was, was that always kind of your goal or were you just taking it day by day, kind of year by year and just slowly trying to find where, where you wanted to be? Yeah, I, I think I've very much had, I want to coach at the highest possible level, um, yeah. the goal, um, but then also been very loose about where that takes me. Um, I got sure. into the, I, I coached boys and girls back in the UK when I first started, and then the very first team I had in the US was the girls team, the younger girls team, and that was where it really opened my eyes up to the women's game, and I think the longer I've been involved in that, the more I've enjoyed it and wanted to try and get to the highest possible 
possible I could in that yeah. environment. Um, but yeah, just, yeah, just kind of being loose as to where things take me from there and it's gone down different routes. At one point, I really wanted to work in the college game. Um, at another point, I wanted to pull back and go harder in the youth development area. And, um, youth national team stuff came up with through goalkeeping, so that right. really accelerated all the, the interest and extra work I wanted to do in that world. Um, but always that buzz to try and work with the best players and the best staff. Was it always as a goalkeeper coach you wanted to do, or do, like, do you have the aspirations to go be a head coach one day, or is it just strictly goalkeeping? I mean, for me, it's strictly goalkeeping, at least right now. So, um, yeah, I don't know yeah, what it is for you. I've always said that the goalkeeping part opens the doors because it's mm. easy, and there, you know, there's less of us goalkeeper coaches than there are just general coaches across the board. Um, but it has it been has a little been bit of both. I've never really wanted to pigeonhole myself as just a goalkeeper coach, right. a boys coach, a girls coach, sure. whatever it is. Um, because I think you know you can close doors a little bit with that. The more open you are to doing a bit of everything, um, mm. it makes you a better coach. And I say a lot of the time to goalkeeper coaches, if they ask me for advice, is try and coach a team as well. Even yeah, for sure. College coach, even if you can just coach a youth team or. If you're a goalkeeper coach for a club, can you coach a team on the side as well? Because it helps your, your understanding of the game. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, because then you're dealing with you know a whole roster of 17, 18 players instead of just you know just three or four individuals. And I think you, because even I've been dabbling too in the youth game, and you know I enjoy being a head coach of the younger ones. It's fun. They're fun to be around. But it's like you you know you see the different side of trying to manage 17, 18 you know younger younger athletes rather than three or four, and you start to get to know them a little bit. So it's it, it is a really good good thing to do. Yeah, you've got the element of um, how do I communicate in different ways to different sure. people? How do I get the best out of this kid? And I might have to be different with that kid. And ultimately, that's going. If you can do it with eighteen players, then it's going to help you when you just have to deal with two, three, or four as a goalkeeper coach. Right. Um, but or even little things like them having to deal with parents because you're sure. dealing with emotional adults at times and yeah. different expectations, and that might lead yeah. to having to speak to agents in the future, you know, or, right. or whatever it is. So you know, even little things like that, as well as your all-round understanding of the game and. I think when you work with the little ones in particular, it develops a certain coach personality that you can still bring to when you coach mm. Yeah, no, the little ones are fun to work with. Um, but you did, you did mention you, th- you thought for a little bit you wanted to be in the college game. You did have a, have a brief, brief stint in the college game as well, right? Yeah, so I went in as a volunteer coach, as a goalkeeper coach for Cal Poly Pomona, D2 level. Mm. Um, when the head coach moved on and a new coach came in, Mike Gabini, who's now at K-State, he asked me to stay on, and at that point I said to him, I would love to, but I kind of would just rather be an assistant coach than just work with the goalkeepers. So I ended up staying in the college game for another two or three seasons, really more as an assistant coach and not working yeah. as much with the goalkeepers. That's just where I was at at that stage. Mm. Um, I think I was doing, I think I was a director of coaching at the time as well at LA Surf. Um, so I'd taken a bit of a step back from the goalkeeping part for a couple of years. Um, and it was at that, yeah, just at that point to try and expand my horizons and see the game in a slightly different way and experience a different role um, and then I moved down to San Diego and, and stepped away from Cal Poly but that was a really really good experience That's, that D2 level of college is a really strong standard 
Mm, um, for sure. One is often everybody's end goal and where they all want to be, but that conference in particular is, is yeah. extremely Yeah, you know, you touched on that real quickly. It's just it's good points. Like, everyone has the, these aspirations to go D1, but, man, there's there's a ton of other good opportunities. And, you know, if you're a baller, you're, you're going to get seen. It might be a little bit harder at other places, but still, if you're, you know, if you can play, you can, you can play regardless of where you're at. Yeah, we had a, a, a couple of players on that team that I look back and think, wow, how did you not get picked up by a Division One school? Right. Their experience of being a big impact player by the time they were sophomores, juniors, and then seniors. Right. Um, and how valued they were and the experience that they gained um, from being within that role and impacting the game the way they were able to was probably really powerful for them and amazing for them. Um, and so they got a great four-year experience within college. They played an awful lot. And right, right. Programs. And some of the programs within those D2 levels have run their shifts just like a power, power sure. school, you know? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. No, but I 100% agree with that. Um, you know, big fish, small pond, small, you know, small fish, big pond type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, so talking about director being a director of coaching, because I think, a lot of people like to complain about coaches at the club level. What were some of the things that, as a director of coaching, you were trying to instill in your coaches and that, and in turn, the teams that they were coaching? Yeah, yeah I, I, I think you have to go into it knowing that you have a responsibility as a director to develop coaching. Right. You're not going to get people who are the end product, so you've got to go on a bit of a journey with them, and I think that was important. Um, that's something that within the surf environment now we talk a lot about. When I went into surf, I went in as an assistant director and there was guys who were a bit younger than me who were running the youngest program and I would say to them a lot, like, you're gonna bring in this coach who might be inexperienced or new and you've got to hold their hand through the process a little bit and really help them because they're gonna fall out with parents because they don't know how to deal with them. Yeah. Crazy decisions about playing time here and there. Right. Wrapped up in the emotions of it all. Um, and you just got to kind of help them through. And if those coaches then progress through the program or they go on and they go somewhere else, you have to kind of take that as a pat on the back to yourself a little bit. Right. But definitely that, helping coaches through the communication part of how you talk to a player, motivate a player, keep a player um, confident, as well as dealing with the parents. That are, they were probably two of the, the biggest things on top of then your methodology. Um, right. Back then, when I was at LA Surf, we, the way we ran the program was um, we had they coached twice a week with the team. We gave them a session around whatever the topic of the week or the month was, and then the second session of the week was stay on that topic, but it's your session that you come up with. Love so there was a little bit of like two way. We're going to give you something to help you, but then you've got your own personality yeah. magic that you can sprinkle on it from there. Were, was every was every team in your club running the the same system? Were you, or were it, was it? Did you leave it up to the coaches to decide how they wanted to play? Back then, it was suggested and guided that they had the freedom to be able to yeah. do a little bit more of what they wanted. At Surf now, it's very much like we've got a real clear, concise methodology that yeah. is what they're doing within the training structure are the tools that then go into the methodology uh, mm. the game model to then execute at the weekend. And I f if I'd had what we're doing now at Surf, if I'd had that X amount of years ago, it would have been That's part yeah. of the in the journey as well. Yeah. What's, what's your biggest pet peeve with, with some clubs and how they, how they work with coaches? 
curious now. Um, biggest pet peeve. I think probably not supporting them with Coach Ed. Yeah. Be the biggest thing, and also just you need that support from your your club, your director, your president when you when you are dealing with difficult situations. But I think the worst experiences I've had is where I felt alone or on an island a little sure. bit, and you're making decisions without any support from the club, or you're not sure if you're going to get that support from the club. Yeah. It then makes everything a more safe and comfortable environment for you to be able to go and do what it is that you want to do. Right. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's interesting how clubs, you know, they love to complain about coaches not doing a job, but then I look at them like, well, isn't that kind of your job to, to bring everyone together? So it's a, it's a two way street for sure. And yeah, I think I've, I've noticed that in the clubs I've seen that in the clubs that kind of support coaches with whether it's paying for licenses or actually sit down with them and try to, you know, work on their weaknesses. It's like, those are the clubs that are running a lot more smoothly and, a lot of the coaches seem to be a lot more happy, a lot happier, at least. So, yeah, I mean, my yeah, my pathway my through the licenses was awesome license because when I was at awesome. LA Surf, they, LA they paid Surf, for them. Um, we had a structure in place where yeah, you yeah, got paid based on your license. So there was that kind of incentive mm. while you were there to try and go. Right, and right. And Not that I think coaches should need Not that incentive because if you want to be successful within your career, then you've got to invest in yourself a little bit as well. But I was lucky that the club supported us and encouraged it and they gave you the time away for 10 days or whatever it was, seven days yeah. to go and do the course and, and then supported you financially. Um, so, yeah, I was very lucky with that, but that was a really good element to the club. Sure. So, were you nervous when you got the San Diego Wave job? Or were you kind of like, all right, good, this is what I've been working for for the past, you know, 16 years or, so, or 15 years and I'm ready for it? To begin with, it was like, yeah, yeah, I'm buzzing, buzzing I'm super, super excited. excited, what a great opportunity. Um, and then I would say first day of pre-season and planning pre-season, that's where yeah. nerves kicked in. And it was good because we were able to do a little bit with some players, even if it was just Zooms or conversations prior. So it wasn't... So you were hired during COVID? Uh, with the wave? Yeah. No, it was... Uh, I was officially hired just before, just back end of last year. Okay. But we, like, we didn't see the players until February 1st. Right. But during okay. that period, some were in market because they were looking at houses or whatever and they were coming to check out San Diego. So you're able to meet them and speak to them, get a feel for them. Mm. Um, like Kaylin, in particular, I'd had three or four Zooms or phone conversations with. Um, prior to stepping on the grass with us, so that helped. But yeah, yeah nervous part to it was there because you don't know what they, what makes them tick yet, and what they right. really want out of the training session. And pre-season in particular was a massive learning curve for me to go through that with adapting what I felt they wanted or what I wanted out of the training session and the realities of what they wanted and they needed and coming yeah. to a, you know, a happy medium with that. How, how'd you figure that out? Was it just through conver different conversations or kind of just, you know, every day you were just learning something new about them almost? Yeah, yeah a bit of both really. I, yeah, I told them at the start, the start if there is anything specific that you need and you want, you have to communicate that with me. When we go out there, if you're not feeling it, tell me whether it's in the fly and we can adapt on the fly or afterwards. So we had some really, really good conversations post-training sessions throughout the season about, yeah, this works, this was really good. No, this isn't working, can we adapt that? 
Um, Kaylin was brilliant with that in particular. Like she, she, she knows what she wants. And she knows right. herself in her position so well. She knew where she wanted to be at and what she was prepping for. So I think trying to keep that communication open and, and be a collaboration was important. Um, and there was for sure days I walked off the field and thought, oh God, you know that that wasn't great, or you know, did they get enough out of that that I really wanted them to? Right. Um, and that's just been now a, a gradual progression throughout the point where we're pretty much halfway through the season where it's running a little bit more smoothly now and everybody knows each other. And the conversations that you probably couldn't have at the start because you haven't got that trust and relationship sure. we've now got, so it's a little bit easier to work our way through those things. Yeah. How do you how do you go about structuring your, your weeks with them in terms of sessions? Is it do do opponent based or or is it kinda like based off weaknesses, you know, how to, what's what's a typical kind of week look like for you guys? Yeah, so in general, the, the first day back would be like a back-to-basics, call it, where we'll keep everything within pretty much a four-yard goal, lots of little handling reps uh, to get them going and see the ball and get the engine running again. Um, not Nothing too hard with it hitting the ground too much. Sure. Controlling that. And then build the week into, yeah, working on what the opposition's areas are that they're going to potentially try and hurt us with and their attacking trends, working around that. We'll do a little bit of film and video, so what I'm seeing, the keepers are seeing, um, and then put it into practice on, on the pitch. There'll be some IDP elements involved yep. within that as well. Um, and then, yeah, match day minus one is just cleaning things up on that and getting the confidence going. and. Sure. Then they're in with the team doing a little five v five, six v six to really get the intensity. Yeah. Quick, which they they love, and all of a sudden become the most competitive people on the planet for. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, how do you how do you go about keeping everybody in the quote unquote GK union happy, or at least in a positive mindset on a daily basis, or do you kind of just leave that up to them, um, just with almost clearly defined roles? Because I think it's very clear that Kaylin is is the number one. But how do you go about you know keeping everyone else happy and at least motivated to wanting to work a little bit harder yeah i think i'm really lucky because there haven't been any issues with yeah. that um, i think all the goalkeepers understand and appreciate what the environment is mm. uh, what their roles are and those roles can obviously adapt and, and evolve um, based on different circumstances whether one keepers away or one keepers out or you know whatever whatever it is uh, i think keeping the lines of communication open and allowing that to be two ways really really important casey's been a big support with that as well like she's had one of ones of course with the goalkeepers as well and fed back anything to me that is important for her based on her conversations with them um I've made sure that the IDP element is still there, so it's not every day or every week we're sat down doing that, but it's on a really relatively consistent basis where, you know, even if you're a goalkeeper that's not playing as much, you feel like there's that buy into the sense of his clips of training and yeah. to work on to keep improving and being ready and keep pushing. But no, all of them have, have been great. Um, we've got we've got Melissa Louder that's been in the, the league a couple of years, generally mm. as a number three, and and she's such a good player to coach, such a good person to coach. Um, she's increased her levels to continue to push Carly and Kayla. And then when Carly came in, which was halfway or towards the end of preseason, yeah. 
her whole personality and understanding of the position of being a goalkeeper and how she talks and communicates those elements to the others is brilliant. Like it's almost with Carly in, it's almost like having another coach at times. Yeah, she knows, she knows the position so well and it's so experienced. It's awesome. Where do you think you've grown, or what do you think has anything changed in your years as a goalkeeper, as a specifically goalkeeper coach, in terms of your methodology or? Kind of philosophy in your training where it where's it adapted the most all that and over the past handful of years maybe five ten years i think i've probably learned so again not pigeonhole myself what type of goalkeeper coach are you are i'm a very yeah. technical coach or i'm a very scenario based coach um, i think we do a lot of guided discovery and scenario based stuff with the kids because mm. You want them to really learn how to make decisions and then how to see the game holistically. Um, yeah. I thought maybe that was what I was going to do in pre-season with the wave goalkeepers and learn quickly how they would want to be trained and what they need. That's maybe a little bit more adaptive where you've got more of the technical base to it and getting the reps in and the speed of the session. So I would probably say the biggest transition or me just being aware of how I've got to adapt probably came by going into the wave and going through pre-season and just understanding it. And I think you have to adapt and evolve based on um, the keepers individually that you're working with. The last U20 camp I went in, we did some more scenario-based stuff and one of the goalkeepers said, can we just do some more technical reps, seeing the ball, yeah. small movements um, tomorrow or the next day? And it's like, yeah, of course. Like, Yes, there's got to be a plan of what, as a coach, you want to get into the, the players to prepare them right, but also they've got to feel comfortable and you've got to meet their needs as well. Yeah. Is there a trend or anything in the women's goalkeeping game in particular that you've noticed that um, that might be a little different from the men's side of things? Like, what, what do women do a little bit differently? Um, so it's actually interesting. One of the surf goalkeepers um, who's out in playoffs now, she's definitely a video of a goal that she conceded um, in playoffs where it was from a free kick that was very, very far out and the coaching staff were asking her to step higher, almost on the edge of a six-yard box. Yeah. The ball ends up going over her head and her footwork back to try and deal with it was decent. Yeah. But for her comfort levels and for me in general, I think in the female game, the ball going over the head is an area that in, in general, they struggle with a little mm. bit. So I think one of the things is female goalkeepers being a little deeper so that that distance to travel backwards isn't as far. Um, and then you don't have, I've got to backpedal four or five yards and judge the ball and get the right timing to push and load and tip over or flick wide. Um, versus whereas the men I think they can probably be a little bit more aggressive and you might see male goalkeepers coming out into crowds and further out to punch and claim a little bit more than maybe you do yeah. goalkeepers and I think that's also transitioned a little bit into the 1v1 environment um, I think like watching the league this season in particular you see less of female goalkeepers coming 10, 12, 14 yards 
high out to go into a block or a spread. For sure. Then maybe you do say, I'm going to say Emmy Martin is because I'm an Aston Villa fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like super aggressive at coming out and doing that. And, and yeah. that's, that's male goalkeepers will have a tendency to stay deep as well if that's their preference. But I think right. within the female game, we've got goalkeepers like Alyssa Nay is really good at staying deep and staying on the line. Um, yeah, Kaylin has a good balance of both, like understanding when she's going to stay deep and putting the pressure back on the forward versus when mm. to hug and go out. But I think you got male goalkeepers are a little bit more aggressive at going into those one v one situations. Yeah, no, I, I definitely noticed that too. Is like the the starting position always seems to be a little bit lower than in the in the female game, the male game. I, I I've been picking up on that and. At least for here, it's something we've been trying to work on a little bit. But um, but yeah, so when working in a club environment too, it's you know we're, you're working with so many goalkeepers, but and then they're going back to their different teams or different coaches. Have you ever encountered had a scenario where you've had a, almost a disagreement with a head coach of a club team or even you know in a, in a college team where it's like, hey, you're telling your goalkeeper this, but the head coach is trying to tell him this, and how do you how to go about balancing and, and dealing with that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, mean, I mean, you've got to back the head coach because ultimately they're the, they want mm. players to do the things that they, how they want the game to be played. Um, I think it's always hard in the emotion of the game where you just have yeah. to listen, take it on board, and then you have that conversation after the fact. I remember having a conversation in... It was in training in the club environment a couple of years ago, and the director at the time said, Oh, you know, the goalkeeper's got to get better. At, um, I think what the scenario was now, but it was decision making. And I was like, Yeah, really difficult for me to replicate in goalkeeper training where it's me and two or three other goalkeepers. That now is on you to create a session that's based for the goalkeeper with decision making around forwards that are running into the box and defenders taking away angles or not taking away angles so i agree with what you're saying but that's, that needs to we can do it together but that needs to come in yeah. and it can't come in my environment because i don't have three forwards and four defenders to work with when i'm just working with the keepers no that makes a lot of sense yeah um that's a great point that's a great point it, it's tough it, I always hate when when coaches get mad at you if like a ball goes through a goalkeeper's hands too. It's like the coach looks at you, you know, it's like, what are they doing? It's like, ah, they made a mistake. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not so, looking at you in the midfielder. Let's go for a leg. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, but uh, all right. So, so I. Advice coach. What's that? Sorry. That's just the life of the goalkeeper coach. Yeah. You take that shit on yeah. and just like, okay, let it go in and one out. Right. Right. Um. So. So last question I like to wrap up with is. As you, as you move on from job to job, whatever it is, you know, even just the people that you interact with on a daily basis, what's, what would you say kind of your, your, your mission, your, your legacy that you want to leave would be? Or I guess the thing that even drives you kind of every day to, to want to be the best coach. I think because, I think because of, my of my coaching background, background being, being very developmental, I mean, and, and doing a little bit of everything from the four-year-olds in the sun camp all the way through to now working with the wave. Having that development aspect is always really important to me. Um, like at the moment, I'm coaching three goalkeepers who've got a lot of experience, Carly in particular, who's pretty much done it all within the game. But I still feel that responsibility to still 
you're like, yes, prepare her for the game, um, but how can I continue to develop and, and help her learn and grow? But with that, it's the guiding part and supporting part. Like, how much can you guide and support? And if there isn't too much more that you can develop in a player, how can you be there for them? Whether that's designing sessions and creating environments that are going to keep them sharp and, and ready to go, or just mentally, psychologically, be there for them and know that you care and know that you're invested in them. Because I think that's the important thing. Generally across, specifically the youth game, I think the psychosocial corner is not as good as it should be with clubs. Sure. Um, and often that's more important than X's and O's. So right. I think that would, that would be a big area that I would hope is something that I can help players with and, and they feel um, that I support them with. And it's something that I'm constantly trying to make sure I'm aware of. Yeah, no, I love that. I love it. But hey, one more thing before I forget. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the charity you work with, mainly selfishly, because I want to hear more about it as well. The uh, the, uh, the, 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 the Ghana, Ghana project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, so, so I was reading, I was reading an, article an article in a British, in a British, British newspaper, newspaper about this Aston Villa fan um, um, living in a village in Ghana, Ghana and they got the whole village supporting Aston Villa. Yeah. Um, and it was and just it was a really... Fun, cool, inspiring article to read. And I was telling my wife about it, and part of the article was talking about how he was trying to develop a club, a youth club in the area to help um, with uh, just guide the youth, help with keeping kids out of crime and off the streets, and giving them some direction, and even having a, a, a women's and girls team there to help with um, prevent them from early pregnancies. That I guess were yeah. And I was telling my wife about it, it, and it it was at a time where we just sold our house, so we had a little bit of money, and she's like, why don't we try and raise some money and and contribute and help? And so she kind of came up with the idea. So we did some research, we found this organization called It Starts With Soccer, who go into areas of Africa and help try and build up the communities through sports, through football, through soccer. And was like, listen, we've got this idea, there's this guy out, in this village in Ghana, who he'd reached out. I think I retweeted the article, and he'd reached out to me. And was like, "Oh, I see you're a coach. I'm yeah, the youth here, a coach." And it just kind of snowballed. And I've got no idea how you go about raising money or funds or doing anything. Yeah. So it starts with soccer. Kind of like took the lead. They got us in touch with someone on the ground out in Ghana. They used their their whole setup to. Um, provide a, a donation page we blasted it out to friends family the soccer community and before you knew it we had something like we contributed ourselves personally a little bit but we had like three four thousand dollars raised that's awesome that is awesome the guys out there were super motivated uh, again it starts with soccer did some research to make sure they were legit and yeah yeah um and yeah, yeah, it just kind of went from there and they got the, the area of the village, they got donated to them by the chief of the village, which I guess is how it works out there. Yeah. Uh, and before you know it, they had tractors doing dirt and leveling. That's awesome. We had to continuously reach out to try and get the donations higher and higher to help get the grass in and then maintain it, get them some equipment and gear. But 
I think we ended up raising nearly eight thousand dollars. Wow. Um, they just recently sent me a video a couple of weeks ago. They basically held like I don't know if it was a tournament or just a yeah. thing there. But the whole village and surrounding villages were out there watching it. Uh, he just sent me a video yesterday of the uh, the women's team, the, the girls' team, training, playing on the pitch. That's awesome. So yeah, it's um, it's incredible what the power of football can do. Right. California to the village in Ghana. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. But awesome, Lewis. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining me today. And we'll talk soon. Yeah, love the chat. Thanks, mate. Cool.